Hi, I'm Louise Brockman and I'm here um, spending time with uh, a wonderful on entrepreneur and friend, uh, Ben Carter. Um, welcome, Ben. G'day, Louise. Yeah, and uh, today we're going to be sharing, um, I guess, some thought leadership and your insights into advisory boards. So, Ben, do you mind sharing, I guess, to start with a bit about your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I guess my entrepreneurial journey actually started um, non-entrepreneurial. Uh, in that uh, I did a graduate uh, degree in mechanical engineering and went and joined a, a global um, air conditioning company. Went through their training program, wanted to work my way up into uh, the upper echelons of management in that uh, business. And I guess what I found over that journey of 11 years uh, with that company, my first company in the industry, was that um, uh, bureaucracy and um, good decision making uh, don't go hand in hand and basically you know the business as it grew and as we uh, were acquired by another company um, totally changed and uh, it became an environment that was not working so I finished up in my first 11 years with, uh, with global manufacturer of air conditioning equipment Went and did a, um, a deal with um, ANZ Private Equity to run a contracting business in uh, Queensland, mechanical contracting, so putting in large air conditioning systems into high-rise buildings and shopping centres and hospitals and things like that. And that deal was all meant to be part of, I guess, my first uh, foray into having an equity stake in business. Anyway, joined that uh, company um, as their general manager and... Three months later, the GFC hit, the valuation of that company didn't really work. And it went from a, I guess, an equity play to a save the company play. Um, so I spent three years, I guess, working for um, ANZ Private Equity in, uh, in an air conditioning business called HVAC in Queensland. And basically it came about rebuilding the business and um, trying to get a, a platform for it to grow into the future. So through that gap, through that experience, um, I got a lot more, my eyes opened a lot more to how running a business works and, um, and you know, pitfalls and traps and tricks. And probably about six months before I finished up there, I decided that I wanted to go and uh, venture out into the wide world myself in my own uh, gig. And so I sort of started looking around to see what was available. And believe it or not, um, the opportunity came from uh, an unlikely source that my father-in-law was 65. Uh, he had a little business called Enatec Australia selling air conditioning and electrical products up in the PNG. And I thought, you know, he wanted to retire. His likelihood of selling the business was quite low. And so I came up with a deal with, with him over a Sunday roast to um, buy the business off him and turn it into, uh, I guess, an air conditioning uh, contracting service and, um, and automation, uh, it's like a building controls business. Fantastic. And how, how long have you been in business for now, uh, Ben? Yeah, so that was uh, June 2011, so eight and a bit years now, and uh, a bit of a wild journey over that time. Um, we've grown pretty quickly, so do you want me to tell you a bit about that? Yep. Uh, so basically, Went into the, to the business Enertech Australia. Um, at that time, uh, there was a lot of oil and gas work going up in PNG. 
and through a contact of his in PNG, they uh, reached out to myself, knowing my background, and said, um, are you interested in looking at this job in the middle of the jungle in PNG to air condition 20 buildings for ExxonMobil? I said, absolutely. Um, and at that time, there was just myself uh, and one other in the business. There was two of us. I had a little office out of Ipswich in Tivoli. And basically, through negotiations with um, ExxonMobil and um, their representatives at um, POF, Pacific um, uh, Mining Company in Australia, uh, we were able to negotiate a deal to do the job. And three months into my new career, I had uh, you know, a $20 million project in the, in the jungle in PNG, which uh, uh, turned out to be uh, you know, a wonderful adventure. Fantastic. And, and when you think about that, that was 2011, yep. uh, you're now operating PNG Australia and New Zealand, is that right? Yeah, so since that point in time, we've expanded uh, to have offices. We started off in Brisbane, or we, so actually we started off in Ipswich. Uh, we moved to Brisbane just to allow us to get um, more traction on the workforce um, and opened up to more availability. In 2012, I... Um, joined forces with a company called Value Added Engineering, or VAE, and halfway through 2012, came up with a deal to uh, merge the two companies. So I actually bought them through an equity play. Uh, I gave them some stock in my company, and then took the unusual step of changing my company name of Enatech Australia to the Value Added Engineering Group, so VAE Group. That's fantastic. Ben, can I just ask, how many people do, do you employ now within the business? Yeah, so we've grown from two to, we've got just over 300 now. Um, operating Brisbane, Gold Coast, Townsville, Cairns, Darwin, uh, up in PNG and in Christchurch in New Zealand, as well as now Sydney as well in, in New South Wales. So the uh, expansion slowly filtering out uh, through into other locations and um, yeah, uh, that's how I guess we've um, managed to, to increase our numbers that way. It's fantastic so far and looking forward to seeing what happens next for you. Um, you've had uh, an advisory board for your own business and you've also um, been sitting on other people's advisory boards. Do you mind just sharing a bit of your experience around advisory boards? Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, in the early days, so when we sort of grew from a couple of people up to about 50, um, I was using different people in different stages of that growth, um, more in a mentor or coaching role. And then um, in 2013, we sort of hit a plateau um, with probably around 70 staff, 75 staff. And we were really now then getting into a size of business that I hadn't run before. Um, and neither had any of my partners. So that was kind of, you know, where we'd been to. And we felt that to, I guess, help navigate the things that we didn't know, um, that we needed to maybe formalize our, uh, our advice structure. And so what we did is we um, basically brought an advisor in first up in 2014 onto our board and changed it into an advisory board uh, to, you know, I guess, allow that advisor not to have the the legal ramifications of being a director. And that worked, fa that worked fantastically. So for the first 12 months, we just had one advisor on our board and you know, the experience and knowledge and, and information we gained there, I still use today. 
Um, from that, we then basically said we need to formalise the advisory board. And so at that point, we went into, we got a, we got a chair. Um, so I was lucky enough to pick up a chair. Um, he was ex uh, Leighton Holdings of John Blood and David Hudson, who's still my chair uh, three and a bit years later. And uh, we went to a more of a formal advisory board where we had uh, the chair plus two advisors. Um, and that really helped us break through, you know, that sort of platform or plateau we glass ceiling we'd hit in 2014, which then enables us to jump up and grow in 2015-16, and then to then jump up and grow to the size we are in the last couple of years. And so now that advisory board, um, we meet eight times a year. Uh, we did meet uh, monthly, but we found that was a little bit too um, taxing on the executive team. Um, so we now do eight meetings a year, um, gives us a break between a few. And we've got three advisors and a chair, and then myself and the CFO also sit on that advisory board. Mm, that's, uh, that's terrific. Uh, so, so Ben, when um, uh, a lot of businesses start their first advisory board, they go for an independent chairperson to external advisors, which is, uh, I guess, a structure that you had um, earlier on in the piece. What's been the real benefit for you, do you think, um, um, and uh, the impact your advisory board has had for you personally and for the business? Yeah, look, well, the first and most obvious thing is it's really helped us navigate um, situations that we've never experienced before and particularly around strategy and structure and the business uh, I get a lot of really good advice uh, in terms of that which has enabled us to acknowledge when the business as it's grown when we need to make a structural change or, or a strategy change uh, so that's the first thing the second thing is by having those eight meetings uh, a year it really holds myself and the executive team to account to get the action items at the end of the board meeting done by the next board meeting because mm -hmm. it's the first item on the agenda and uh, and uh, our chair is very good at making uh, um, us um, realise that we haven't done them, the things that we haven't done that we committed to do. So it really brings a discipline into the business um, mm -hmm. without actually getting things done. Yeah. Um, the third thing was uh, it really enables to get a strategic document together that um, mapped out just more than 12, 24 months. So we've got, you know, a three, five-year plan now. Um, and it's a professional plan uh, with advice from a whole range of different people that uh, have a lot of experience in the areas that we're now getting into, like, for example, mergers, acquisitions, um, HR, uh, sales and marketing, you know, for a large business. Um, so that's another thing. Um, and look, probably the other big thing from my perspective is the network. Um, you know, each of those advisors is connected to, you know, a, a massive network of people, not only through, you know, Brisbane in my case, but throughout Australia. And then through their network, you know, that's helped us to get into and navigate places like New Zealand's expansion, uh, PNG's expansion, uh, and navigating the whole tax and company set up over there. So, you know, those are probably the key things that I can think of offhand, but um, without that advice and without that advisory board structure, I've got no doubt we wouldn't be anywhere near as successful as what we are today. That's fantastic. And you also sit at the other side of the table as an advisor on other people's advisory boards. So, yeah, yeah um, interesting perspective. So uh, if I can uh, maybe just wrap up and get your tips 
what tips would you give other business owners um, as well as what tips would you give other advisors? Yeah, absolutely. The best, the biggest tip I would give is going to the advisory board, asking the questions of what you're going to do, um, not telling the advisors what you've just done. <laughs> um, so, you know, I see like on the couple of advisory boards I've sat on, you know, I sort of get this is what's happened retrospectively where, you know, the owners of those businesses then haven't been able to navigate a few pitfalls that they've got themselves into. Whereas if they had brought those issues up before making those decisions, then I feel they could have probably in some cases got better decisions um, or more rounded decisions. So, you know, for me, uh, definitely um, going down that path uh, is a big thing. Um, having good reports, you know, give a snapshot of where the business is at. You know, I know we're not a statutory board but advisory boards need to have you know a good understanding of the financial um status of the business um to give good advice um, and also i think the other big key thing i really noticed lately is the board and the executive team normally the board doesn't sit on the advisory board meetings in some cases um and there's a real disconnect between you know, in a lot of cases, what the board really wants and what the executive team is telling you they want advice on. And so, that's the big takeaway for me is making sure that before you start your advisory board process that the board, CEO, CFO, or whoever else in that executive team are all aligned on what the strategic direction they want to take the business is. And, you know, whether they want equity, whether they want... Um, income from the business, uh, whether they want growth or sustainability, because um, quite often I've seen mixed messages coming out in what the what they're trying to achieve, and therefore that's hard to give really um, good advice that's, that relates well to that um, situation. It's interesting because it does change too over time. So you've got to constantly re-check in on that too because circumstances change. What what advice would you provide advisors, Ben? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, advisors um, to have honest conversations is probably a good one. Um, you know, I can see in not only my advisory board but advisory boards that I've sat on that the people who come into those um, uh, meetings, um, you know, extremely talented with such a wide range of experiences, um, and to speak up and not be worried about offending the executive team, um, you know, and I'm a bit worried about maybe I do that a bit too much in some of my advisory sessions, but uh, um, look, yeah, it, you know, the executive team is there to get the raw truth. Uh, of the situation and if you think something's not right say it um, whereas I think you know some advisors particularly those who are new to being on advisory boards um, might think oh you know do I need to cotton glove this a bit or you know just tone it down a bit but from my perspective uh, as a CEO you know I just want straight up um, down whether they think it's right or wrong because at the end of the day it's my decision whether I take that advice or not. Yeah, yeah. And it is different to a governance board and when advisory boards are independent, the members, there is no hidden agenda. So there's, there's no reason why they, they only want the best for you, don't they? 
Absolutely. And, you know, and from my perspective also, if the executive team is getting advice that they don't think is good advice, then they need to rotate those advisors out. Yeah. Um, and you'll find that the advisors, if they're giving advice to the executive team um, sort of disregards it, I'm not saying they don't have to follow it, but if they sort of don't even um, acknowledge the advice, then you'll find the advisors want to exit anyway. Correct. And so it's kind of like um, in the early days with coaching, you know, once you got all of the things from those coaches that you need, you need to find a new one. And the same with advisory boards. And as your phases change, then, you know, I highly recommend you change out your advisors to, to suit the new situation that you're, you're in. Yeah, that's right. Still have the management discipline, but the voices can change, but the discipline maintain, is maintains itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, thank you so much for, for sharing your insights. Uh, it's very generous of you. And I look forward to having another interview with you in 12 months' time and see where you are then. <laughs> no worries. Some, some things happening at the moment, so I look forward to telling you about them. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Ben. Bye. Thanks, Bye.